We're going to be in Ephesians today. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. If you have a Bible, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray, Holy Spirit, would you open my mouth? Would you uh, give clarity in my mind out of all the different things I could talk about, that I would talk about the things that would be most glorifying to Jesus and most helpful to those who listen? Holy Spirit, I pray for uh, everyone listening that you would open their hearts, their minds, uh, and that you would uh, break through any, any barriers they would have to listening. Maybe personal experience, maybe a tiredness on uh, this morning, uh, maybe uh, just a stubbornness. Oh God, break through in our hearts by your spirit uh, and, and teach us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So uh, another installment in our relationship series. Uh, our relationships ultimately come from the Lord. And as we're kind of working our way through various relationships, today we get to parents and children or children and parents uh, as the case may be. Uh, so he here's a couple things I need all of us to remember as we launch into this. Number one is that God is the originator of all relationships, all right? We believe that God has existed for all eternity in Trinity. So there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and for all eternity they have existed in perfect, loving relationship with one another. And so when God creates us to image him, he creates us to image him in the context of community. All right, so God is the originator of relationship. But what follows from that is for relationships to succeed, all right, for relationships to succeed, uh, we need an awareness of God and a connectivity to God. The quote I have for you is, uh, I read this a couple weeks back uh, as I was thinking through preparing for relationships and it struck me. Relationships succeed when uh, there's an awareness of God and a connectivity to God that is uppermost in our thinking. Now, here's what you gotta understand. If your relationship with the Lord is broken, if you don't have a good relationship with God, if you aren't in a place where you're whole and where uh, you have confessed your sins and you're not walking in unrepentant, ongoing sin, but your relationship with God is clean and is intact, that then will overflow in relationship with everyone else, all right? So if you have a clean relationship with God, you have an opportunity for good relationship with your fellow man, whether that is a friendship, whether that's a work relationship, whether that's with your parents, whether that's with your children, whether that's in a romantic relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, fiance, or your spouse, all right? So here's bottom line. I can talk until I'm blue in the face. If you are not in a place where you're in right relationship with God, all your other relationships are going to suffer, all right? 
So there, I said it. You can be frustrated with me. Um, but so what, what that also means then is that if you are not a believer today, um, you are in a place where I believe it's going to be challenging for you to engage in all these relationships. Uh, because some of the principles, some of the things that are true about a relationship with God are not yet in place for you. Uh, how do we forgive? How do we not hold on to uh, brokenness, to bitterness, to unforgiveness? Well, we do that by knowing and understanding and living out the fact that we have been forgiven. Right? Uh, how can we ever love someone without putting conditions on there, right? Uh, a covenantal, uh, unconditional love. How is that possible unless we realize that we have been loved in that way? Right? See, a lot of our relationships, a lot of our love relationships, whether that's friendships or romantic relationships, whether that's parents or children, are based on contract ideas. You do fill in the blank, and then in turn, I will do this, right? Uh, in marriage, it's like, hey, you take out the trash, and I will do the dishes, right? Or I will love you as long as you do this, you meet my expectations in whatever sphere of life, all right? So, uh, man, if you don't know that there's a God who made you, a God who loves you, a God who has died on the cross for your sin, you need to know that. You need to hear that. And you need to consider that. Okay? So that's, that's uh, God is the originator of relationships. Number two, God has given you value. All right? We believe that God has made you. He's the creator and originator of all things that are alive. And as such, the Bible says that God made the man and the woman in his image. So we're image bearers. The theological term for that is the imago Dei, all right? the image of God. You have intrinsic value, dignity, and worth because of how God made you. That's amazing. That ought to be really mind-blowing and really encouraging to you. God loves you. God values you. God cherishes you. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross for you to reconcile you to himself and to include you in his family. That, that's what God does. So he, here's what that concludes then. There's no human relationship, no matter how beautiful, no matter how meaningful, no matter how exciting, that should and really can fulfill that need for value, right? You need affirmation. You need uh, fulfillment. You need to be what, what we call validated, right? Have you heard that? Yes, you probably said it. But see, that validation that meaning, that love, that acceptance, that value does not come from any other human being. It doesn't come from your parents. They will fail you in that. And if you put that burden on them, it'll crush them. It will not come from your children, right? If you do that, you will twist what that relationship should be and you'll really mess up your children. It will not come from friends. It will not come from romantic relationships. It will not come from work. No human relationship can provide you with that value. And yet, good news, you have it. 
If that's never occurred to you, that might be something you need to ponder this week. Meditate on, I'm valued, I am loved. God himself imbues me with dignity that is unspeakable and a dignity that ultimately will override all the different things, all the different labels, all the different differences that the world would want to press upon you, all right? And then, this is we've mentioned a number of times, but let me mention it again. God has made you an image bearers. And so, uh, the way we reflect God's glory is most clearly seen in the way that we live and practice these various relationships we have. Now, I'm going to do something different in this service than I did in the first. Uh, I, I'm going to talk about God as our Heavenly Father before I go into all the details of parents and children. Why? Be because that relationship for many of us is so broken, is so messed up with our earthly fathers, uh, and, and it shines a light on the relationship we have with our heavenly father. When I say God is your father, immediately in your mind, it'll be right? You have all these images, all these thoughts, all these words, all these adjectives that pop in your mind that kind of inform how you hear that. Now, let's say you had a really, really good relationship with your father. Your father was present. Your father loved you. Your father provided for you. Your father cherished you. Your father disciplined you in love, not in anger. You're like, all those things happen. The way that you see God as a more perfect version of that is going to be beautiful. And it's really going to help you in your prayer life. It's really going to help you in your spiritual walk. But what if your dad has disappointed you? What if your dad has abandoned you? What if your father has disciplined you in anger? What if your father was legalistic and, and the way he showed you even how to pray was weird? What if your father is someone you have never known? What if your father sinned against you grievously by uh, emotionally, physically, or sexually abusing you? And the person that you know as the one who uh, ultimately brought, brought you life has been a source of death and destruction in your soul. What then? See, here's the thing we have to understand. We cannot let our human experience color who we see God to be. It needs to be the other way around. All right? It's not, oh, my earthly father was absent, so I'm assuming God is absent. Oh, my earthly father corrected and disciplined me in harshness and almost in a capricious way, in a vindictive way, in a, in a way that just crushed my soul. So God must be the same way. Because here's what you're going to think. Every time you're sick, oh, God is punishing me. Every time, like, you see a setback in your life, something is happening that is, that is crushing to you. Oh, God is chastising me. God is getting back at me. God is, right? And that is not true. That is not biblically what is accurate. We need to take it the other way around. We need to start with who is God? God is good. God is loving. God is present. God is kind. God is long-suffering. 
God has condescended to love us. He has actually subordinated his, like in Jesus, he has given up his rights in order to save us. That's who God is. Right? And so what I need us to understand is we have a good father. We have a father who loves us. We have a father who chases after us. We have a father who receives us, accepts us, knows us, loves us. Right? You have to understand that. Let me give you a couple of verses. And these were revolutionary to the people that these were said to. When Jesus was talking with the disciples, they knew God as kind of, yeah, maybe the father of the nation. Definitely as heavenly king. Definitely as Lord. Definitely as sovereign. But a daddy? A father that would be that close in relationship? That was, wow, that was mind-blowing. And so Jesus still, when we get to Matthew, he is, is teaching his disciples, this is how you pray. When you pray, when you come into a place of conversing, communicating, engaging with God, here's how you address him. Here's what you say. Our Father. Wow. That's amazing. Our Father. There's a love relationship that is implied. There's a belonging. There's a familial tie that is implied in this. God is your father, and God is good, right? I mean, and, and the way that Jesus explains it, he's like, hey, uh, the way that you evil humans are able to give good gifts to your children, God who in character, who in purity, who in holiness is so much beyond you, infinitely beyond you, don't you think that he can give good gifts to his children? Uh, in the end of that same chapter, still Matthew chapter 6, he talks about anxiety and fear and worry. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. You guys know something about anxiety? Man, I, I, there's been times in my life I've dealt with a deep anxiety, and it is not easy to deal with. He says, don't be anxious. And he, then he gives us not an conclusive or, you know, complete list, but he mentions a couple things that they might be anxious about. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Right? They didn't have Costco around the corner. Uh, they needed to worry about their daily bread, right? And their daily, uh, where do I find clean water, right? This is an arid, deserty place. Uh, don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles worry about all this. Why does he bring the Gentiles in? What does the Gentiles have to do with anything? Well, the gods of the Greeks and Romans were very capricious deities. They were vindictive. They were vengeful. They were tricksters. They were always out for their own benefit, always out for how, how can I get the most out of this? They would use human beings for their playthings. They would use the wars of mankind and the misery that came for their amusement or to settle their scores, right? The Trojan War would be one of those examples. So he says, hey, the Gentiles who worship all these other gods, they have no concept of a good, loving, kind, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness God. They can't understand a father who actually loves his children. 
right? Now, mind you, they couldn't understand a father in the human realm who would love his children because they're like, uh, should I keep this baby or not, right? This is what would happen. Like, they would come forward, it's like when the child was born, lay it at the feet of the father, and he's like, if he bent down, picked it up, the child was safe. If he turned away, walked away, they would take that child and they would just abandon it in the street, if not outright drown it and end the child's life. That was fatherhood in the Greco-Roman world. Here's what Jesus says. The Gentiles, they are anxious about all these things. Why? Because they don't know the heavenly father. They don't know the one who cares and who loves and who's concerned for your well-being. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. In other words, don't be anxious. Why? Because you have a good and a loving and a concerned and an involved and a present heavenly Father who loves you. That's good news. All right? Uh, and then throughout the New Testament, again and again, we continue to see these things. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1 uh, says this. Uh, it says that... Um, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, if you want to read more about this, uh, we see that God has saved us in Christ, and then as he has indwelled us with his spirit, that spirit continuously calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. It's the cry of a child that trusts their daddy, that knows daddy is going to come, daddy is going to hold me, daddy's going to protect me, daddy's going to pick me up. He can be counted upon, right? And so we see this image in Scripture that we have a good father who is not going to abandon, who is not going to disappoint, and who is not going to harm us. Dad is something we, we have to keep in mind. Why? Because there's so much brokenness that we experience in our world when it comes to fathers. There's so much brokenness that we experience as we live our lives and, and walk through life. The, the statistics are mind-boggling, and I'm not going to bother you with these, uh, but we need to hold on to the fact that we have a good father who loves us, who wants us, and who is going to be present with us. All right, now let me get into the text that we have for today uh, and kind of take a look at the instructions that Paul gives in regards to parents and children. Now we would sort of expect, a uh, big topic, right? I mean, can we acknowledge that? Yes, big topic. Just, just not pretend that you're listening. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, so there's a lot in here, and we could be incredibly super ultra practical, like, right? Uh, to spank or not to spank, how to spank, how to discipline, when to discipline, how about public, uh, whatever, social media, how about the internet, how about, no, we're not going to do any of that stuff. Uh, there's space for that in other conversations. Uh, I want to do more... Uh, overarching principles, okay? So, um, here is four verses on parents and children. And apparently, the Apostle Paul considers them enough. Uh, when we look at Colossians, it is much shorter. 
In the book of Colossians, uh, again, another book written or an epistle written by the Apostle Paul to a church in regards to children and parents. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All right, next topic. That's it, two verses. So it's like, wow, okay. Um, is there more? Well, there's other verses, there's other principles, there's more things that we can explore and discover in this regard. But really, what Paul does here, he is in a whole series of conversations on relationships and how they are to function. So we have to understand the full framework. I tried to give a little introduction on that. And then there's actual incredible depth in regards to both parents and children in these four verses. Let me try to unpack some of that. All right, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Uh, the word for children here is just offspring. All right, it's basically any and all children. It doesn't just mean young children in terms of what the term means. Uh, even though the context has suggested to some commentators, some authors, some scholars, that probably what he's talking about here is particularly younger children who live at home, right? Because right before that, uh, in chapter 5, it actually says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So at that point, doesn't seem like that individual or those two individuals would uh, obey their parents. So it seems like Paul likely has in mind children at home. Now, if you're 35 and living at home, I guess that means you. All right, so that, look at this, incentive, incentive to move out, it's fantastic. Children, that's all of us, we're all our children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, the, the word obey uh, means exactly what it sounds like. It means to listen attentively and act in accordance to what is said. So. For children, what the Bible prescribes is that these, this child would do as their parents are instructing it to do. And we immediately have all kinds of thoughts. Well, what about if uh, this and this and this? And we have all kinds of case studies. Paul has in mind a, a family, a parent-child setting in which these parents uh, are actually uh, trying to model a biblical relationship, right? The Bible actually says on a number of occasions uh, that it is not right to obey me, uh, man or men and women, mankind, people, rather than God, okay? So that's, we, we have that. We have that already. Uh, in Acts, for example, Acts chapter 4, I believe it is, uh, the apostles talk with the high priest, and he's saying, hey, you judge for yourself if it is right to obey you rather than God, right? Now, this was an authority uh, structure in Israel, the high priest uh, and the Sanhedrin, and the apostles are saying, man, yes, we realize you have authority, we realize we're under your authority, but we're not going to obey you because it is against and it is contrary to the, uh, the, the, the will of God, all right? So um, you don't in every case obey, right? If, you're, if you have parents that want you to do something criminal, uh, they can't say, obey me, 
you have to say, well, it's right for me to obey God rather than man. However, in a context where you have children living at home, small children, teenagers, and the, the family is a God-fearing family, and they are making requests that are not outside of the Lord, then it is right for the child to obey. All right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. All right? So that, that is kind of a key line there for this is right. Now, then he goes on and he explains where he came up with this principle. Right? There's a, this is a specific command. Now, here's a principle. The principle is the fifth commandment. Are you guys remember the, the Ten Commandments? Probably. Uh, so when Israel was rescued out of Egypt and became its own nation, God gave them covenant principles. Right? The, the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments, the Ten Principles upon which the entirety of the, the Israel nation will base how they're going to live together. And one of those, that principle, number five, is honor father and mother. Now, this is not just a principle for little children. This is a principle for anybody, right? In the Jewish people, there's like uh, adults, there's elderly, there's children, and the commandment is for every single person. Honor father and mother. It's interesting to me that the commandment, right, the Ten Commandments, doesn't say appreciate your parents. It doesn't say uh, even love your parents, enjoy your parents, admire your parents. The commandment actually does not say obey your parents. And I think it is because the the fifth commandment, just like the other nine, is a commandment that is designed as a principle on how to do life. And it says you can honor your parents without obeying them. You can honor your parents without appreciating them, admiring them, enjoying them, right? Because there's parents who will actually uh, live in such a way that you can't do that. You don't appreciate them. You don't uh, really admire how they're living, right? All those things are absolutely possible. But for you, as a Christian, as someone who knows you have a good heavenly father, the way that you engage with your parents, you honor them. How do you honor them? Well, it depends on your family. It depends on your relationship with them. You need to figure out how to do that. Maybe you start by, I need to forgive them. I think you would honor your parents by starting out with, I need to forgive you. I need to forgive you for uh, what you have done and how you have treated me. And I will release you from that. And just like Jesus has forgiven me, I forgive you. That's, that's probably step one in honoring mother and father. Uh, what else? Send him a birthday card. I don't know. Give them a call, even when you don't feel like it. There's many different ways in which you can honor your mother and father. Like how you think about them, how you speak about them uh, to your friends, how you engage with them. Like, I, I remember uh, as a child, I was, man, I was a terrible child a lot of the time. Um, and, and so whenever I would get particularly challenging, here's what my mom would say. 
She, she got all weird and spiritual on me, and she's like, I pray that one day you have a child just like you. Which, which was, that, that's really disheartening, right? Um, I mean, like if she had said that when I was like being really good, that would have been exciting. Um, but she said it whenever I was most troublesome. Uh, and, and the issue here is I remember, um, man, I was a Christian, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I don't need to do homework. Homework is for other people, not for me, right? There's people going to hell I don't have time for, like algebra. What are you talking about, right? So I made it very spiritual. And, and I remember, like, I was, I was clever enough to figure out how many points do I need to graduate, right? I'm like, all right, hey, C's get degrees. I can pull this off. And so uh, I, at times, would literally go in and I would write my name on the top of the test, go to the teacher and say, here you go, all done, and go to a coffee shop because I felt that was better use of my time. Now, then my mom and dad would have to have parent-teacher conferences and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I remember probably in my, in my mid-20s, mid-late 20s, I went and I actually talked to my mom and dad and I asked their forgiveness. I said, will you forgive me? Will you? I am so sorry for making your life uh, a challenge during some of my teen years. That's a way to honor your mother and father, all right? Uh, so uh, for those of you uh, whose, whose parents love you and, and care for you and are good examples of godly men and women, this is going to be a lot easier. But for those of you who have challenging relationships, you're not exempt from that, Okay? Uh, and, and I realize there may be some conversations that are necessary. There may be uh, some, some prayer and some counseling that's necessary. But the verse still applies. All right. So uh, honor is not the same as obey. And I understand personal experience of disappointment, abandonment, uh, sin, abuse, etc. can really make this challenging. All right, now let me, uh, let me go to parents, all right? Parents, here's what it says about parents. Fathers, why is he mentioning fathers first? Uh, and he doesn't even mention mothers. Well, because previously he has given us the outline of the family that fathers are responsible for the care and the flourishing of both their wives and their children. All right, so men, you are responsible for the flourishing of your wife, for the flourishing of your children. So he addresses specifically fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So here's three commandments, all right? Commandment number one, negative. Don't provoke them. We'll talk about what that means. Commandment number two, positively, bring them up in discipline. And commandment number three, again, positively, bring them up in instruction. All right, so let's talk about what those three things are. Uh, do not provoke your children. It's this idea of uh, just causing them to become bitter, making them angry, like breaking their heart, breaking their spirit. It says, fathers, don't provoke them to anger. Don't exacerbate them. Don't make them bitter. How, how do you do that? 
one thing would be your words, how you speak to your kids. Like, uh, are you harsh with them? Do you shame them? Do you humiliate them? Do you discourage them? Do you say, oh, you'll never amount to anything? Oh, you can't do anything. Or do you say, man, uh, you are precious in God's eyes. You have all these gifts that I see. You are talented, you, right? Like, how do you speak to your children? Do you provoke them? Uh, one way to provoke your children, parents, is um, unwarranted discipline. Unwarranted discipline can be uh, too harsh, all right? Or a discipline that where the, the punishment does not fit the crime. That is provoking your children to anger. If, you, if you've grown up and your parents have like lost their mind on you and you're like, I don't know what's going on. It wasn't that significant. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, harsh discipline, overbearing discipline, a discipline where the punishment doesn't fit the crime, that all would provoke to anger. You know the other thing? No discipline. Like the Bible says, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child, right? And, and I know from different experiences where children and even teenagers and young adults are like, I'm just going to do something crazy. Maybe they will finally take notice. Just at least, at least watch, get angry, yell, scream, do something, throw something. I, I can't handle this constant, just disengaged passivity. Right? So overbearing discipline, no discipline. Right? Both of them uh, are destructive. Both provoke to anger. Uh, another thing that would provoke to anger would be favoritism. Oh, I wish you were more like your sister. Oh, for crying out loud. They're their own person. Don't do it. All right? I remember uh, we just talked about this very recently. Um, one of our kids actually uh, was like, you need to understand I am not, and then fill in the blank, of their sibling. It's like, oh, see, uh, we're just trying to figure out how to parent teenagers, and when we feel like we figured one out, let's pass it on to the other three, right? Now, now I had figured I'm smart enough to be like, all right, the three girls are probably going to be different than the one boy. I'm guessing. I don't know. But the three girls at least should be the same. Surely. Nope. That came as a surprise. Who knew, right? You probably knew. I didn't. So, you know, hey, congratulations. I can share with you how hard that is. Um, but so that's, that's one way, favoritism. Uh, it is uh, disciplining in anger, right? It's like you're just so mad, so frustrated. Like you let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. And then it's just like all hellfire is coming down, all right? That's also provoking your child, provoking your children to anger. And, and the Bible says specifically, don't do that. Do not cause your children to be bitter. Do not cause them to be brokenhearted. One thing I had to do uh, on many occasions, and this is one of the most frustrating experiences in parenting, I had to apologize for saying the right thing in the wrong way. I hate it. They're all looking at me like, yeah, uh-huh. Right, they're sitting in the front row. I don't know. This is very challenging. Maybe it's going to be easier for me in the 1130 service. Um, but right, that, that's the problem. Like, I, you have sinned. You're wrong, and I will fix it. 
and I have all the, all the right answers, and I have all the right reasons, and I have all the wrong attitudes and the wrong way of communicating those. But see, here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be an example of the heavenly father. Right? We talked about imaging God. In marriage, what does marriage image? It images Christ and the church and the love relationship between the Lord Jesus and his bride. And when marriages break up, when there's divorce, when that happens, that throws a bad light on that. Why do you think it's so attacked in our society? There's a spiritual opposition to healthy marriages. Second, fathers and children, you show, you demonstrate, you serve as an example of the Heavenly Father. And wherever I fail, every one of my failures, and I, let me just say this, parents, congratulations. You will fail your children. And all the people who have no kids are like, I would never fail my children. <laughs> it's, I, I get it. I get it. Listen, like really what you need to get a good sermon on parenting, you need to rewind about 22 and a half years. And then, man, I have, I have all kinds of advice for you. I knew so much. I mean, it's a shame I'm not younger. I knew more then, right? Here's the problem. The best advice you always will get, best, is from non-parents. Like, well, the way I would raise my children, yeah, like when you get there, let's talk again, okay? Uh, but so that's, right, the way I am supposed to image the father to my children is going to give them an idea of their heavenly father. So I need to say... Listen, guys, I am going to fail you. I have already failed you. I have sinned against you, but your heavenly Father doesn't fail you. Your heavenly Father doesn't sin against you. Your heavenly Father is perfect. I am imperfect, right? And so, parents, here's what you're supposed to do. Bring them up. Raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. What is discipline? Discipline is accountability. Hold them accountable for their actions. Set up standards, set up structures, and hold them accountable. Uh, discipline can have to do with punishment. Discipline does have to do with training. All right? Now, what is instruction? So that's discipline. What is instruction? Instruction, actually, the word is nutheo, which we get the, the term nuthetic counseling from. It means to counsel to advise, to come alongside. So as a parent, you have the, the twofold positive responsibility of on the one hand, what you do is you uh, discipline your children, you hold them accountable, you train them up, and you correct them. And on the other side, you come alongside as an advisor and a counselor. It's a beautiful picture, right? And that's how you're supposed to raise kids. Now. Let me address how God views children versus how our culture views children. You're like, why? Because everything we do, we don't do in a vacuum, we do in the context of a culture. And the way we view the world, the way we view certain aspects within the world is all shaped by the constant pressure that is kind of pressing in on us from the culture around us. So if we were in a rural environment, the pressures would be very different than in an urban environment. Uh, in another country, the pressures would be very different than they are in the United States. 
And so the cultural views on children are really important for us to understand so that we can respond to those uh, positively, all right? Because those pressures ultimately are, are something that you will encounter or something that you will need to deal with, all right? Here are some of the cultural views. I, I picked three. Now, I could have picked like 10, but let me give you just three cultural views on children. One is they idolize their children. It's like, oh, if only I could have children, then my life would have meaning. Then my life would have purpose. Then everything would be all right. It's the parent that once they have children, the amount of pressure they put on them is immense. Why? My child is going to need to have top grades, be like the top athlete, be like on the traveling team. Why? Because I am vicariously living through that child. That child is my savior. That child is my meaning. That child is my God. That child is who I glorify. That's idolizing a child. Now, uh, the second one, that's, that's, that's to hire a position, all right? Your child is not your God. Your child is not your savior. Your child is not designed to give you meaning, purpose, and value. All right, we already addressed that. Number two is kind of the opposite, right? We, we always, I don't know why we do this. Uh, I think it was Martin Luther said that all philosophy of all of mankind throughout all the ages can be summed up in this way. It's a drunk man who falls off his horse on the left side, tries to get back on, and falls off the right side, right? That's his description of philosophy. It's not a bad description, right? And it's basically this idea of, oh, I fell off the one side idle, so clearly children are not that important. They're simply a means to an end. I fall off the other side. Bummer. That's so unfortunate, right? No, and what that is, well, we got to maintain the human race, so let's have some kids. Surely they're more precious than that, right? I mean, th that's it? Yeah, well, Families are the, the foundation blocks of our society. So I guess can't get around them. No, right? They're, they're, they're more precious. They're more beautiful. They're more significant. They're more meaningful. They're image bearers of God. Right? God is entrusting them to us to shape them as disciples to fill the whole earth with his glory. That's what children are about. Oh, that's different. All right, so... You idolize or you kind of dismiss as a means to an end. Well, there's a third one, and that one is really bad. Children are an inconvenience. Well, they're expensive, they cramp my style, they ruin my career, and ultimately they have to either be avoided altogether or if they happen to sneak by and uh, be born, then we need to kind of uh, do away with them. And here's what that produces. It produces uh, children growing up essentially in the system. From the earliest days, they're in childcare, daycare, kindergarten, school. Right? They're just dismissed. I'm not saying that that is always sin. Yes, there's needs where both parents need to work, or you have a single mom who needs to work, or there's just simply we can't make ends meet, or there's a disability, or there's legitimate reasons why mom needs to, to work and the child needs to be in the context of, of a, I, I get all that. Um, but I'm talking about, man, our lifestyle is not exciting enough.
And this child is an inconvenience to me fulfilling my purpose. This child is an inconvenience to me furthering my career, to me making enough money, to me rising through the ranks. No, a child is not an inconvenience. A child is not an obstacle to your self-fulfillment. It is not an obstacle to your own glory. It is not something that should be prevented, aborted, or dismissed later on. A child is a blessing from the Lord, is a gift. For those of you who are blessed to have children, they're a blessing. So let me quickly address God's view on children. God's view on children is this. Uh, number one, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, he says it multiple times. We see it in Genesis 1:28. We see it in Genesis 9, I believe it's verse 7. God saying, fill the earth, have babies. Why? See, God could have just said, oh, I'm going to make more image bearers without your participation. But he is saying, I want to include you in filling the earth with image bearers who bring glory and honor and praise to my name. That's, you are all children, right? Anybody want to argue with that? No, you're a child. You're someone's child. Whether you know that person or not, whether you have a good relationship or not, you are someone's child. You are an image bearer filling the earth for his glory. Uh, so that's the creation mandate. The second, children are a blessing. Uh, let me show you out of the Psalms. Psalm 127 says this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're an inheritance. They're a joy. They're a blessing. Right? If you get an inheritance, you're like, uh, inherited a house. Bummer. This is Seattle, bro. This is incredible. You got a house, right? I mean, that's fantastic. Children are a heritage. They're glorious. They're wonderful. They're a gift. They're a blessing. That's what the Bible says. They're a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. In other words, you get to raise them up and then you get to aim them at other humans. Now, you need to raise them well before you do that, right? Okay, we don't want like your little terrorist children to be aimed at other humans. But, but the point is children are a blessing. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, right? It's a blessing to me to have children. It's a blessing to me that, that they are mine, that I get to uh, wake up and they are there, that I get to kiss them goodnight at night, that they participate in life and our family, uh, road trips, dinners, uh, game nights, whatever. It's a joy. It's a blessing to me, all right? So God is saying we will fill the earth with his glory with more and more and more children, and they are a blessing. Now, uh, there is two questions I want to give you guys for your community group this week. Question number one, what can we learn from being children? What can we learn from being children? Give you a couple hints. Being under authority is actually a good thing. Carrying on a legacy is actually a good thing. Uh, 
being completely unproductive, and if you had good parents, they still loved you. That's a good thing. Receiving unconditional love when you know you shouldn't have. Those are all things, and, and you guys can come up with 50 more. How about the, the next one? What can we learn from having children? I think what we can learn is, number one, uh, most parents I know that when they saw their child for the first time, they're like, for the first time, I'm comprehending how God, God's love must be. Because I'm just, I'm just overflowing with love for this little bundle of uh, screams, tears, and poop. There's, there's nothing productive going on, and yet you love that child. You love that child. You're in, enthralled with that child. God loves you in that same unconditional way. Another one for you to think of in your community groups in regards to what can you learn from having children is it gives you an opportunity to image God. Image God in his long-suffering. Image God in slow to anger and abounding in love. Image God in unconditional love. Image God in forgiveness. Image God in all these different ways. Let me say this for you. As both a child and a parent, you will fail. Repent and repent quickly. As both a child and a parent, they will fail, right? Forgive and love unconditionally. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this encouragement uh, for us to uh, be children that, that honor our parents, uh, be first and foremost children of you and, and be loved by you and cherished by you and accepted by you and be given meaning and hope by you. And God, thank you for those of us who are blessed to be moms and dads, who be blessed to be parents. Oh God, I, I pray as, as we fail, our children would be, be quick to repent. Uh, Father, as we get to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Would we uh, do so humbly? Would we do so in, in awe and reverence to the task you have given? And God, would we image you in that? Would we image your love, your forgiveness, your acceptance, your presence, uh, and your, your love and mercy to us, to our children. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the, the ability, the wisdom, and the passion uh, to make our children into disciples of you. Pray that in Jesus' name.